morning, dear saints. Blessed Epiphany, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Tuesday, January 23rd, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today we open up Colossians and flip to the chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul here delves deeply into the richness of Christ's work and the fullness of the believer's life in him. This chapter stands as a powerful reminder to Christians of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ over all human traditions and philosophies. Paul warns us against being led astray by deceptive teachings, and he emphasizes the importance of being rooted and built up in God who dwells bodily in Jesus. I'm so grateful to all you who are out there listening over the air online at KFUO.org or through a KFUO app. There's all kinds of ways to connect to the show, and it doesn't matter how to me how you tune in. I'm just glad that you're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates and publishes and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. They do a lot of good work for the kingdom. So when you get a moment, go over to lhfmissions.org to learn more about them. And while you're online, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can send them to me via email at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Hey, and if you want to, you can just call into the show. The number, are you ready? Here it comes, 1-800-730-2727. If you do call in or write in, I can get your question out on the air. And who will be answering it? Well, I'll try, but also our wonderful guest this morning, it's the Reverend Sam Powell. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Jefferson City, Missouri. Good morning, Pastor Powell, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Boo. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. We're, we're in, gosh, the, the, the third of a trinity of letters that we've been covering uh, from St. Paul, beginning with Ephesians and Philippians, and now we're in Colossians. And I'm just happy to have you here as we go into chapter two. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the first time that you've been on the show with me. So just Correct. take a few moments and, and share with the folks at home and, and me too. Uh, remind them a little bit about who you are and how God's working through you and the saints where you are. Well, certainly. Uh, again, my name is Pastor Sam Powell. I have served at Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Jefferson City for the last uh, 13 and a half years, uh, called here um, right out of uh, Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, where I graduated with you, Pastor Boo, of course, and I've uh, been here um, our family has grown since arriving. We have three children. Um, all are in school. My wife's a, a preschool teacher here at Trinity, um, blessed with a congregation and a very vibrant school, um, starting Lutheran Schools Week, of course, this week. And we are very blessed here in Jefferson City to have a wonderful Lutheran high school, Calvary Lutheran High School. And um, I've got a, uh, my oldest will be heading there in about a year. And that's kind of where I'm at. I, also, I do also serve as a... Do a, I do serve as a fire chaplain and have done that for about six years as well. Now, Jefferson City, uh, now, how, where is that in relation to St. Louis? I, I'm just not great with Missouri geography. We're, we're smack dab in the middle. We're kind of on the, uh, the 
the edge of the Ozarks. So Jefferson City is a real hilly town, and you head north of us and cross over the Missouri River and head up north, and you get into the real flat plains of Missouri. Um, You go south of us, you get to the Lake of the Ozarks. We're just dead center in the middle, uh, right on that transition in Missouri geography. Also, the capital of Missouri. Do you have a lot of interaction with lawmakers and other folks uh, being where you're at? I do. Actually, one of my members um, happens to be a recently elected, uh, uh, just in the last two years, I believe, uh, lawmaker. Uh, and more so, we have lots and lots of our members are state employees. So lots of interactions sure. there. Um, lawmakers, uh, not as much, of course, you cross paths with them in Jefferson City a lot. In fact, the legislature session just opened here in Missouri a few weeks ago and will run through May. So it gets a little busier the first half of the year. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, at my congregation, we're blessed to have one of our state senators as one of our elders, but I sometimes don't see him, especially when they're in session. Uh, and he has to go you know, about three or four hours down the road to serve in the way that he serves. But yeah, so it's, it's an interesting context. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing just uh, your, your perspectives on how your congregation interacts with the world, especially as we go into Colossians 2. Because this is really about, uh, the, I guess, the contrast between the world who says that there, there has to be more than Jesus and they even reject Christ. And Paul saying, hey, all you need is Jesus. But, but we're going to talk about all that. I tell you what, before we get into anything, though, let's start our time together in prayer. And as my honored guest, please start that prayer for us. Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we come before you in this opportunity to study your word, especially your gift to us, the church, through the Apostle Paul and his letter to the church at Colossae. We thank you for showing us the light of your gospel through Paul, giving us um, a witness that in Christ all things are sufficient and that we are blessed richly through his forgiving love. Garden, keep us during this time and help us to focus ever on you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, when we begin our study today, which is right this moment, we are starting right in the middle of a thought by St. Paul. At least that's how it appears as we read it. It's certainly what the ESV editors believe because they put a heading back at chapter 3, verse 24, and that kind of starts this whole section. So, Really, we're finishing up Paul's thought that we were talking about yesterday. For the sake of those who might not have been here for yesterday's episode, uh, maybe start back with Colossians 3.24 and catch us up to where we begin at chapter 1. And then I'll read, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, and then I'll read through verse 5. Okay, so you'd like me to start reading at verse 24? Well, I can read it. Um, oh, I just, oh, uh, oh, I, well, you know, in fact, in fact, let's... Here. Let's just say, let's take a step back. I, how about I read verse 24 from chapter 1 sure. through 2, for chapter verse 5. My goodness, I'll tell you what, I am stumbling over my words today. Hopefully you'll, uh, you'll carry all the weight for the show. <laughs> Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. 
the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now we pick up chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have seen me or have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So that's what I was talking about, folks at home, that he, you know, he kind of starts this thought from yesterday's episodes. So now considering all of this, uh, yeah, catch the folks up, do a little summary, and then pick it up with two, and, and we'll, go, we'll go sort of part by part. You know, one thing I hear, uh, we hear in verse 24, and I think it's echoed in 2 verse 1, is when we talk about sufferings, and then in verse 2, uh, Paul, you, the English translators have used the word struggle. The struggle is probably not as maybe weighty of a word as we would want to use there in verse uh, 1, but but agony. This, the sufferings, the, um, the agony that that Paul possesses because of his great concern for, for the church. And um, you, you had made the comment, you know, as we, as we think of our present contexts, um, you know, you in Minnesota, me here in Jefferson City, your listeners all around the world, um, everyone is faced with these struggles. Um, and we should have the same kind of concern and agony for those that we interact with. You know, we are deeply concerned because Paul was concerned, and Christ ultimately, of course, was more concerned than all and suffered more for the people. You know, we look out, I'm looking out my window, and in fact, you know, your, your lawmaker and your congregation has to go three or four hours. Um, we send our kids on field trips to the Capitol and they walk. Um, right. It's right there. And I say we import extra sinners into Jefferson City. Um, you know, we bring in all those politicians and lawmakers and all of that. Um, we should have concern for them and those that we interact with. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you. This- well, I just want to interject because I'm glad that you brought this up about struggle. It's just chapter two, verse one. I'm gonna I'm gonna get that straight by the end of the show. For I want you to know how great a struggle. And you said that's probably better agony. And for and I know that uh, Pastor Powell knows this, but for those at home. The, the the Greek word here is uh, agonizomai or ago, agonizomai. So it really is the word, literally the word agony. It, it's an intense struggle. Struggle, I do, I agree with you, is too weak. But it's also like not fighting, although it can be used to talk about fighting, but it's talking mm-hmm. about like uh, uh, wrestling with and, and this wrestling with issues, with people, with sins with his concern for others, all of that is part and parcel into the Christian's experience. We don't just live unconcerned for even how the secular world works. We don't just say, well, they're not Christian, so we don't care what they do. We 
do care and we care because we love and because Christ has called us to care. So, yeah, when he's talking about struggling for these Christians, that struggle extends to us and includes even those who might not be among our ranks. Well, no doubt. And also, if if the church is not struggling, there's always the question of, well, are we doing the work that we were called to do? If the church is not engaged in, is there, if there's not turmoil around the church, we're probably doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we don't go out looking for persecution, but if you're, if you're, if your life is kind of going by like you're on a cruise boat and nothing ever goes wrong, then there is something to reflect on to say, you know, am I really engaging a culture? I mean, Jesus was hated. His disciples hated. Jesus was crucified. Every disciple, uh, at least according to tradition, met with martyrdom, I think maybe save one. So the point is, you know, when we interact with a world that hates God, if they love us, then perhaps we're not you know, perhaps we're not doing and saying the right things. And, and I want to go ahead and throw in the caveat, though. That doesn't mean that we should go out in the world and be jerks and then just be happy when Absolutely. people don't like us. Absolutely. The as as we continue there into um, into chapter two. Um, what, well, one thing to note too, and I and I appreciate that Paul uses this language in verse twenty six. Now revealed to his saints. That is a a point often lost on modern Christianity. And I was very blessed um, growing up to have a pastor who used the word saints often. Um, Dr. Peter Kurowski um, came when I was in fourth grade and was my pastor on through my ordination. And he frequently used that language of saints to refer to us in the present tense. And um, I recently had interaction in the school with a student um, who does not come from um, the Lutheran tradition, um, very faithful um, evangelical family that I enjoy greatly interacting with. And he came about that language and asking me about the saints. And I told him, I said, are, are you one that's been redeemed by Christ? And he goes, yes. And I said, so are you a holy one? And he goes, well, yes. And he goes, you're trying to tell me I'm a saint, right? And I go, yes. Absolutely. You are in the present a saint. And then, you know, to use the language of the hymn writer, oh, that day when freed from sinning, I will see thy lovely face. There comes a time when the sinner part goes away. But I, it's, 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 a, it's scriptural. Yeah. I love I love serving a congregation called St. John because I get to say, and it's very alliterative, uh, to the saints of St. John, because I, I use that term all the time. I know other pastors do, too. And I want to remind people that we are saints. We are um, not saints necessarily in the sense that we're holier than thou, but that we are set apart. That holiness from the idea that we have been set apart. So, yes, we struggle with the same sins and temptations everyone else does, but we have our forgiveness in Christ. We're set apart for the purpose of not only wrestling, agonizing over those sins in our flesh, but agonizing over the dying world because we share in God's will that all be saved. Absolutely. And again, I was fortunate with Pastor Kurowski. He just called all of us saint. I was Saint Sam. My grandma was Saint Jean. Oh, I love that. Saint Leslie. 
and um, we thought it was very weird when he came. <laughs> and yeah. now it's become a thing in our entire circuit locally. Um, in fact, we had two pastors that were St. Peter and another St. Peter, and we had first and second <laughs> Peter. And even now that he's retired, we've continued that language, and I, it, it proved to be very beneficial um, oh, for I our circuit that. to have that that emphasis that's that's remained and continued. Uh, and, and as he goes on here, um, there is this language in verse four. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. It, how relevant is that <laughs> statement in 2024? Um, the, the constant push and pull on the church and individual Christians away from the truth of the scriptures and the gospel. And, you know, this word, by the way, uh, is only used once in the New Testament right here. And this I, I, it's comforting to me, too. And, and here's where I'm getting at. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, not arguments, not just arguments, not lies, not even deceptions necessarily, although he is hinting at that. But the fact that the arguments of the world are sometimes convincing. I mean, sometimes Boy, they're well-constructed. They make a lot of sense. And so when you encounter out in the world and you struggle, maybe even are tempted to doubt, look here and see that even the Holy Spirit through Paul is acknowledging that there are some human-sounding arguments that will be plausible because the more plausible they are, the more tempting they are to believe. Absolutely. Um, as it moves in here, he, he continues on, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And this is the acknowledgement. Um, you know, pastors see this, you know, though I am absent in the body, I am with you in spirit. And, and the struggle that we do have in the church, Paul recognized it. We are sometimes separated from those that we love in the church. Um, for pastors, it can be um, when we take a call from one congregation to the next, or we have a member who is a shut-in, and we do not get to see weekly as we so enjoyed um, before they were in a nursing home. Uh, and it could be any number of instances, a member deployed in the military, um, that there are... Um, for though I am absent in body, yet I am still with you in spirit. The recognition that th through the gospel, we have connections with people that don't exist elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you can see that. Uh, I, I'm sure you've had those opportunities when you go in to visit someone in a nursing home or who's shut in in their home, that they have found ways to still ground themselves in the scriptures. And it can be something, um, it could be listening to uh, Bible study on KFUO. It could be um, how, how much they cherish a devotional resource, like portals of prayer or any number of things. Um, one of my shut-ins who I will be laying to rest now on uh, Saturday, he, his hymnal was always on his table when you walked in. And he saying his confirmation hymn from roughly 87 years prior, he sang it every day. 
um, that was what connected him. But it was always in Christ. Right. I'm, and I'm also looking at, you know, he says, though I am absent in body, I'm there with you in spirit. And in the context of this, we know he's talking about, you know, their congregation, his imprisonment, mm-hmm. et cetera. You've mentioned some other examples like the homebound or the people who move. I just want to throw one more in there, the communion of saints, right? So we have saints, of course, living, but also those who've gone on to glory, like the dear saint that you're going to be uh, preaching for this weekend. Um, I'm having my second funeral of the week on Friday. Um, and so we look at those things and we we also lament over them now being absent in body, restoring their body away for the resurrection, but they're still there with us in spirit. So I think that's another uh, point that should be made. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And the the joy that we have, um, and, and it can be muted joy. Of course. But, you know, I, I can tell you at the communion rail, pastors have a very different perspective um, at the communion rail because we see people's faces. And the member who comes to church the week after they lay, lay their spouse to rest. Yeah. And they're there because they need Jesus and they know who they're with. And so they're rejoicing that they are still with them, but of course sad that they're not with them in the body. Right. Uh, and, and, at least I remember, this, and at least this side of, of return, they're going to be a lot closer to their loved one at that rail than they would be say at the cemetery. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Again, growing up, um, our pastor's wife, um, somebody asked her, why do you look so happy coming back from the communion rail? <laughs> and, and she said, because I got to be with my mom and dad again. And I remember hearing that as like a fifth or a sixth grader. And if you, if you want to reinforce the communion of saints, hear that. Right. Yes. Uh, and, and, it, and it really, um, that's, that stuck with me long and probably ended, ended up in a few sermons along the way, too. But, you know, what a blessing to have that connection that's, again, in Christ. Now, you mentioned already an example of, like, good order, say, the person who's homebound that tries to establish themselves in Christ in some way, maybe through hymnals or devotions Mm -hmm. or KFUO or other places. Um, Now, that good order, I think, in this case, would also be specifically referring to, say, his, his instructions to the Corinthians to do things in uh, decently and in order. And and he's praising these Colossians for doing just that, keeping good order. Church worship, um, the teaching others of the faith isn't a free for all. I, I, I think that the, the way it's been done may ebbs and flows and has evolved over the years. But at the end of the day, it needs to be done in such a way that is orderly. Uh, our God is not a God of chaos. And he's praising them for that. Oh, uh- Absolutely. And, and this um, and the church has always done this. There has never been a point in the history of the church where the, um, the church did not put this into practice. Um, you know, I'm sitting at my desk here and, you know, we have agendas. We have our hymnals. Uh, we have our altar books um, and they give us the, um, the resources to do things and to support and to help and to guide and keep our members um, in the faith. Uh, and, um, 
and it can, and it can trickle down how we govern the church. Um, it, it govern the church in terms of its day to day operations. Uh, how we, um, you know, as pastors, setting up a cycle to visit our shut ins, um, to care for those in need, uh, whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. God is a God. Our God is a God of order. And, I, I want to add two more verses to our conversation as we get closer mm-hmm. to the break. So verses six and seven, he writes, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, of course, anytime we see that, therefore, we know he's kind of putting a point on what he's been talking about. But there is a part about Christianity, about the faith that God has passed down to us. That not only is it a cognitive thing, but it is a very much a behavioral thing, an effective, affective thing, right? It, it changes the way we see the world, the way we feel, and frankly, the, the things we do. We're supposed to walk in Jesus. A- absolutely. And I, I, I'll admit I, I signed up for Colossians 2 when I was given the opportunity to pick a, pick a day to be with you because – we, um, I'd spent a lot of time in this book. Uh, this was our, our 150th anniversary was in 2020 um, through 2021 and, and my congregation. And that was our theme verse, um, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And um, that was during COVID and some of the challenges there. Um, but it was very fitting. You know, therefore, because God has done all of these things, as you receive Christ from the Lord, so walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him. Um, you know, our our logo for the year was a tree with a huge root system, and and that is very connected to you know when you look at the life of the church. The church is bigger than what you see. In referencing the communion of saints, those who have gone before us, the history of our congregations those who have worked um, diligently to serve the gospel, to give us what we have here today. Uh, you know. Well, I'm just thinking of your congregation in 2020 striving to celebrate, do you say they're centennial? Uh, 150th. Or 150th. So striving to celebrate their 150th anniversary and, and, and looking at this verse, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, um, abounding in thanksgiving not a lot of folks had a lot of reason to be thankful at least from a worldly point of view during that time just as paul sitting here in prison telling them to be thankful while he's in prison talk about um you know ag uh you know uh agno agonizomai right agony it's struggling to live the way of christ but those things are beneficial that's what he, when he says being built up in him that is a, a a passive kind of thing. He's building us up, but construction is is not an easy task because you know you can build something up and it fall over the next minute, or you could build something up to last forever. And if Christ is building up something to last forever within us, yeah, it, it, it's painstaking sometimes. That that hits home uh, very much, Pastor Boo. We, uh, you know, I think all of us have been craving normalcy. You know, that's what everybody says. I'd like for 2021 to be normal or 2022 or 2023. And the week after Easter, um, um, April 15th, we had a fire in our school Um, and our church and school are connected um, all one building. And 
Um, so we have not worshipped in our sanctuary. The last service we had in our sanctuary was Easter Sunday, 2023. Oh. Um, and so it it does hit home when you hear that, uh, that um, certain things, you know, Again, I like quoting hymns. Um, you know me, Pastor Vu. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even when steeples are falling, yeah, oh, you know, crumbled have fires in every land. And, you know, we sang that the morning after the fire. Um, yet the morning after the fire, we had a baptism in our parking lot. <laughs> oh, you man, know, God's work is going to be done. You know, I just that's amazing. It, absolutely. And, you know, we can we can see the. If, if we were not rooted in Christ, what was the point of all of it? You know, that could have easily washed away people had they not been firmly rooted, right? I mean, that's that's such a tragedy. We, we talk about things like um, uh, in, in systems theory, we talk about when you have a life crisis, good or bad, it puts such a strain on your relationship. Well, we have a relationship with Christ. And so how do we respond in those moments of crisis? And if it is not deeply rooted? Just like your relationship with your spouse or your friends, it, you may have a lot of trouble. But being deeply rooted, which is what Paul is talking about here, that is what keeps us firmly planted in Christ. I, I do want to let you respond to that, but I tell you what, we are up against a break. So, sure. folks, don't go anywhere in just a few moments. When we return, Pastor Powell and I will keep on going through Colossians 2. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back, friends, to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Samuel Powell. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Jefferson City, Missouri. Don't forget that you can reach out to me at PastorBoo at gmail.com, on Facebook, or by phone, 1-800-730-2727. All right, Pastor Powell, we just finished up with 6 and 7. And um, anything else that you want to add before we move on to verses 8 through 15? Let's, let's move forward. Here we go. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh uh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, 
who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. All right. So Paul loves these long run on sentences, but Paul is, I think, excitedly trying to appeal to these Christians whom, remember, folks, he's never met. And he's writing to them and he's saying, you guys are falling into this heresy, this this. I don't know that we exactly know what's going on Colossians in terms of what they're what philosophies they're buying into, but whatever they are, Paul knows about them, and he's saying, "No, look to Christ." Right. You know, this is one of those cases where sometimes Paul is very detailed, like writing to the church at Corinth um, about their long list of and litany of problems. Here, it's it's more of a generic concern, um, which certainly makes. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, um, very applicable for us, mm-hmm. that uh, that it's just um, the church struggles. Um, and it's not, a, it's not, a, this is one of those cases where we're not talking about the agony, but just that they, they're being caught up in the world, which again, it's 2024. We well, we know this, we see this on a daily basis in our own congregations and our families, wherever it is. And, um, it's it's he's very very clear. Don't be taken captive, pulled away. Um, you know the the something pulled over your eyes to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, um, and this can happen both from society but from within the church. Um, you know why are we doing this? Well, it's because we we do this. Um, and um, I don't know what your area is um, is like in Minnesota, um, but the conversation about church traditions is one that's always a challenging one. We all know that any congregation um, or any area. And, um, you know, I happen to live in an area that is very Roman Catholic. And um, this hits more down as we get into verse 16 and following, but traditions of fasting. You know, and what is this? Is this a human tradition? What is this? Um, well, just and, to reply, well, just to reply to your answer. So, not in my current congregation, but while I've been in Minnesota serving, I was accused of being too Baptist and too Catholic by two different people on the same day. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the struggle we face sometimes. Is because people, and myself included, you too, we have preferences about the way we want to engage in our worship of Christ. Now, when those preferences turn into demands on other people, it it becomes pietism, even if it's with the best of intentions. But we have to be careful, too, about allowing people to say or or allowing people to throw out good practices of the church simply because they're like, well, we're going to label this human tradition and we don't need it. Well, that's not necessarily the approach we should take either. So, yeah, there's a suspicion of of what people might perceive as overly Roman Catholic things. Um, and but but really are actually traditions of the church. Well, at the same time, um, I know lots of folks who probably spend more time in the Almy catalog than they do in the Bible. So if I can just be frank. So we have to I think to balance those things and make sure that whatever we're doing, 
is serving what Paul's talking about here. That is building people up in Christ. Go ahead. Well, absolutely. And when we think it, it's important for the church to remember that, you know, doing the work of the church is hard work and it requires study um, and care and concern and prayer. And we are faced with things and our decisions are not always going to be easy. Um, but we're called to evaluate and to consider things and to weigh all of our practices against the scriptures. And that requires work. And it's not always going to be simple and it's not always going to be popular, but that's the calling that we have as Christian people to, to function. And, you know, Luther's own life is a, is a testament to this. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's it's something important to consider that again, it's not easy to live and serve in the church. Um, and sometimes it's going to cause, to use that language that Paul uses, sometimes it's going to cause agony and heartache. But that's what we're called to, how we're called to live. Uh, you, uh, Paul continues here, um, for in him. The whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Just this language that, you know, we need to say, for in Jesus, you know, so he's he's reminding them, um, which we often need to be reminded of. He is God in the flesh. You know, we're in this epiphany, epiphany season, the revealing of God. He is God in the flesh, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Um, this is, it's a great, it's a wonderful reading to have in this epiphany season, um, in this greater Christmas tide, um, to be considering that, you know, when we're talking with, when we're talking with folks who are struggling, who are being pulled in um, by the world, whether it be young or old, they need to hear again and again that Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came into the world to give an answer to all the brokenness of the world. It is so easy to get caught up in the um, the mushiness of oh, Jesus just, he just loves and he cares, yeah, which he does. He loves and he cares. But he came into this world bodily to deal with the weight of the world's sin. And he is a historic, we, we believe in this, uh, a historical figure, a person who came and lived and walked and did the messy work of salvation for us. I mean, certainly during Paul's time, no one would have denied that Jesus existed. And frankly, in our time, no one who is a serious historian, whether believer or not, denies the existence of Christ. And so the, the difference is, you know, for folks is what makes Christ and, and Paul's been talking about mysteries too, right? That that the mysteries oh, yeah. have been revealed in Jesus. And, and he's giving a wink to the mystery religions, which are telling you, oh, you have to come and do these secret things and learn the secret knowledge, you know, like Gnosticism and all kinds of other. That's the most famous one, but there are plenty. And so that apparently is something they're struggling with. So the fact that he is bodily and not only was he bodily, but now you are in him is is significant for these folks who the other religions or whatever philosophies they're being tempted with are tempting them toward the ethereal the mysterious the unseen 
I, of course there are unseen forces in existence, but, but Christ is our anchor because, well, you can literally touch him even today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we do, I mean, how common is that? The, for people to get caught up in the idea of, oh, we've, we've heard it time and time again. I don't need to come to church. Christ is in my heart. Right. Yes. And Christ in your heart told you to go be with believers in church. <laughs> right. Well, God is everywhere. Well, yeah, he is ubiquitous. He is omnipresent, but he also comes to us in a very special way. I mean, and I've said this before, and I don't mean this crassly or even as like a bumper sticker theology, but but everybody wants Jesus the Savior, but nobody wants Jesus the Lord who cares about you and says, yes, I am gathering you for a purpose. Of course you can encounter me anywhere, but here in this place, it's very special. And this bodily, this bodily, this, this fleshness of Christ, I think that is why Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He could have accomplished that by any means, but he instead says, I'm now going to come to you bodily in this sacrament until I return. So we're never not without him, not just in spirit, as Paul says, but we are with Jesus bodily when we gather together. Yes. Yeah. Again, uh, one of the more common, if we want to use the language heresies of the modern church, is the idea of that separation, that I can be on my own. And it's just not true. We saw this especially, you know, making reference to the last few years, the idea of somebody separating themselves off. Right. We know that it's not good from a medical perspective, um, from a, a, a mental health perspective, um, and certainly not from a spiritual perspective. Separating ourselves off, shutting ourselves off, never helps in the end. Now, one of the things that stood out to me, and the reason why I, I brought up that you are living in the capital of your state, is that he uses these terms that we often apply to human authority, um, but it can also be applied into more demonic spiritual rules, so to speak. But in verse 10, he says, you've been filled in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority? You head down to 15. He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, we're going to learn more when we read verses 16 and following, but what's your take? Is is Paul speaking of just demonic authorities? Is he referencing even Pontius Pilate and Herod? Uh, how do we understand this idea of triumphing over rule and authority? I think we would never want to interpret it such that someone could try to use this to say that authorities don't matter. I was helping my, oh, my sure. I don't teach my, I don't teach uh, seventh grade. I teach eighth grade confirmation here. And so my associate pastor has my son and we were studying together for a confirmation test last night. And I asked the question, who are the authorities? Oh, the authorities are many and varied and extensive. Um, including the person that we get to watch our kids. They're an authority. And so we don't ever want to discount um, godly, God-given authority. But certainly so, 
it is incredibly easy for those um, who have been chosen to be an authority for them to really feel like that they are the end all be all. Um, and, um, you know, I, I joke, we all, everyone makes jokes about politicians and I've even, you know, made a comment in a sermon and one of my members who was in elected office goes, Hey, you're talking about me, weren't you? And I go, well, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I was. And I told my member that was elected recently to the house of representatives. I said, Hey, you're going to be in a sermon too one day. Um, <laughs> and he said, fair, fair point. I've got that coming. Uh, well, you know, and that, of course, I tell you what, it, there are no such thing as pastor jokes, right? So I guess we should feel bad. <laughs> exactly. But, and, you know, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. It, this idea that Jesus is the head of all, of all rule and authority, and he disarmed the rulers in authority by putting them to open shame, by triumphing over them and him. We often, we, we talk about that. You know, you hear people say, I prayed for humbleness to, as a ruler. Well, yeah, absolutely. Perhaps one of the greatest prayers that any leader, um, no matter the circumstances, need to pray for, because ultimately they are not in charge. Right. And I guess um, that's what it, I was getting at, the, the sort of maybe the double entendre of it, because you mm-hmm. know we could look at verses like, well, like John chapter 12. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out? Well, he uses the word ruler, but he's not referring to kings and presidents. He's talking about the spiritual forces at work in the air. First Peter, uh, he talks about Jesus who has mm-hmm. gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. I, I do see a both and. Um, I, I think while we never will say, well, you don't have to obey authority because it just doesn't matter. We do know that whenever authority conflicts with God's word, that we know who is the ruler over all authorities, both visible and invisible. But just for the sake of time, I want to add the rest of our chapter because I do think it, it expands <laughs> a little bit. And you see that Paul is talking a little bit about this Colossian heresy, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it has something to do with spiritual authority. We're going to look at that now. Here we go. He writes, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, capitalized, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Uh, Just reading this in plain language that we can understand, 
I don't understand how the medieval church got away with most of what they were doing, the things of which the Lutherans protested against. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, well, and it just shows um, the the separation that had happened between the scriptures and the people. Um, that this just Paul was not something that most people know um, knew at the time. Um, and I, I've taken great comfort, you know, personally, pastorally, um, from Colossians chapter two because. Um, these are some of the challenges that the church often faces and that pastors face as we, as we make decisions about how the church functions and works. Uh, and, and this is where there comes times of great debate and discussion. Uh, you know, just thinking those first uh, three verses of this section where it talks about with regard to don't let people pass judgment on you in relation to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Um, early on in my ministry, um, my congregation had had a Thanksgiving Day service that um, they elected to make a Thanksgiving Eve service instead, um, and nobody thought much of the decision. Um, and then people said, "Hey, um, that's not right. We shouldn't do that." And somebody said, "Well." Well, we have to do it on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> we wouldn't be Christian if we didn't. The yeah, argument well, Congress doesn't always, pass those laws for no reason. <laughs> right. You know, and, and, and the response was, you know, actually, we've always done it that way is an argument. Sure. Maybe not always the best argument. No, but, certainly but yeah, to say you know, we've had a we've had a tradition of doing it on Thanksgiving Day. But when you say we have to do it. We just walked right into St. Paul talking to the church in, in chapter two, because now you've made something a requirement and you're passing judgment. Um, and, and so we ended up keeping with it. And there were some folks that were not happy and most folks didn't care one way or the other because it's a non, a non churchier event um, right. that we chose to recognize in the church. But that one really struck home. I really spent a lot of time in that in Colossians chapter two during that time because it was such a challenge. And this can fall into any number of other practices. Um, now, this doesn't mean, you know, for example, you know, uh, I vickered in Sheboygan County, Wisconsin, which per capita has a lot of Lutherans and a lot of Lutheran churches. And there were enough Lutheran churches that you could go to church any night of the week for a weekly worship service, except Friday night. Oh, okay. I mean, you wanted to go on Tuesday night for church. They had a church in the area. Now you and I might find Tuesday night very strange in, in order for that to be our regular weekly worship. But for whatever reason, that congregation had elected to have a service at that time. And there were folks that took them up on that. Well, if Christians what, are gathering together. Who are we to <laughs> who are we to pass judgment right. on them? Right. That doesn't mean we can't have a conversation about how appropriate it is for a church to maybe elect to say, "Well, we're only going to have church on Tuesday." You probably. Well, why? Why would we choose not to offer a service on Sunday morning? I think there's a valid probably strong discussion that needs to be had about that. Um, well, and that and that speaks to the, the the ethos of the world today, that having a discussion mm -hmm. or even, frankly, disagreeing about, say, mm -hmm. a practice 
um, doesn't mean that I hate you or that I'm persecuting you. Um, I, I mean, I suspect that if Pastor Powell and I, you know, sort of did a tit for tat on all the things that we prefer or don't prefer, we're of course probably going to come up with things that are are different from one another. But that doesn't mean that we're going to pass judgment on each other. And so just having the discussion is not passing judgment in the sense that Paul means it. I mean, certainly you have a judgment about it, but this passing judgment is about condemning people for for things they do. You know, I think the one that a lot of people are familiar with would be the food and drink. They think of Catholic friends on, you know, and, and this is where the line, and this is what I tell folks. And if you have a nuanced opinion, that's fine. But I say, listen, if as a part of your spiritual fasting or practice, you choose to go without whatever on Fridays during Lent, go for it. If that if that brings you closer to Christ, if that if that sends you to the word where you actually can get closer to Christ as opposed to your own works, fine. But then once you say or a church body says, you know, it's not God pleasing if you don't do this and they're forcing people to do it. That's well, that's the problem. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. You know, he says, why do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This is just human precepts and teaching. Now, as you've made the point, and I, and I do too, the things that we do that are didactic, that teach people about the faith, you know, they aren't neutral. They're a good practice. But there is sometimes a point at which our practices or our traditions no longer teach anything. And so keeping them just for the sake of keeping them, well, let's just say it invites that discussion we've been talking about. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, personally on um – on Sunday mornings, very rarely, very rarely do I ever eat before church. Um, that is an, an older practice that I have some of my oldest members that their families had the practice that on Sunday mornings, the first meal that they would have is the Lord's Supper at church. Interesting. Uh, and that's a form of fasting. But by no means do we mandate that. Can it be helpful? Now, I said, you know, I, I'll be completely upfront and honest. I primarily don't eat on Sunday mornings also because I value sleep more than food on Sundays. <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if, if I can buy myself a few more minutes, but there is also that element that it's it's a. It's a it's a practice that is good for me. Um, you know, I do live in a you know heavily Roman Catholic area, and so you know the fish fries are a coming uh, and coming quickly. And we actually have a large Roman Catholic church. The nickname for it is the house that fish built. <laughs> that you know they're they're so noted for their fish fries, and we we have some I have very frank discussions about the the practices and the history of it, and. You know, fasting can be, you know, to um, things related to food and those practices. What does Luther say in his section of the Catechism on the Lord's Supper? Our fine outward training, but we don't mandate. There, that is not how we are worthy and well-prepared necessarily. They can help. Uh, and so, you know, we... Um, this can come up with issues of, of food and drink here. Um, I was talking to, I'm teaching a new member class and talking about, you know, the practices that our members have when they come to the communion rail, you know, bigger bows, some not bowing, making the sign of the cross, um, many, many good things, but not something that's a requirement. Um, right. Kneeling. Um, I don't know if your congregation has kneelers or not. Uh, 
uh, we do. And I, we found out during COVID that we were we did not have full corporate worship with the whole church for several weeks. But when we returned, we didn't have our kneelers out. And I found out how much they meant to many of our members, very tangible, real way when they knelt on the, you know, barely padded concrete step just with some carpet over it because they felt so strongly. The kneelers came back, the pads came back the next week. Right, right. Well, and that's and that's, that's it. I, I mean, we we. Well, I'm just going to say we 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 have to encourage people um, to to ground themselves in Christ and what He reveals. Churches must ground the practices they do uh, in consideration of tradition, but also to make sure that they are effectively communicating Christ. Um, and you know what? We could go on and on and on about this, and I really wish we could, but. Here we are Absolutely. at the end of our time together. So, brother, thank you so much for being on the show, everybody. It's been the Reverend Samuel Powell. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Jefferson, Missouri. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Uh, folks, tomorrow, the Reverend Benjamin Meyer joins us to discuss how Paul in Colossians 3 calls us to embrace a life transformed by Christ. Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Join us to explore how this profound message guides us in living out our faith every day. That and more tomorrow. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.